0: Now, we've been looking at this passage in Ephesians 6 over these last weeks, and we've been seeing that God is calling us that we're in the spiritual battle. We face a spiritual enemy, and, and he's giving us as a warning, but also as an invitation, challenging us that in this battle, he's given us resources that if we take them, that we will stand. When the day of evil comes, if we rely upon his provision, we will be able to stand and we've seen in the series that the attack is primarily on our heart and our mind, you know, or, or what, we, what we feel and what we think to be true. It, it's an attack primarily of lies and that we need to, in a sense, put on God's truth. Now, let me just say, if, if, you, if you're in this and want to say, well, I want to go deeper with it, let me give you a couple recommendations of books that I've read recently that I think take these ideas a little deeper. One I mentioned a few weeks ago called The Bondage Breaker by somebody, Neil Anderson, a man named Neil Anderson. He's really saying, okay, how is it that Satan will take lies and make, you know, really lock us up, chain us up with these lies? And how do we break those? How do we claim God's truth in our life? Another one um, is, is called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, And again, it's the idea of not only believing, but the problem is that we believe and then we live out what we believe. And how do we root those false beliefs out? How do we claim God's truth in the midst of this? And so these are great resources. Now, this morning, we're going to dive into one of these, you know, the last part of this, the last, you know, the last weapon, in a sense, the piece of armor. And, um, and when we look at this, I want to kind of step back and remember the whole context and see what we're going to see here in the context of everything that he's been saying, and that's the, the big context: is that we need to remember that we're in a spiritual. We need spiritual weapons for a spiritual battle. See, from the very beginning, uh, Paul started by saying this is a spiritual battle. So we read a few moments ago, verses 10 and 11: Be strong in the Lord and the might, strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We're called to find God's strength. We're called to take His resources, His armor because it's a spiritual battle, we're fighting an enemy, it's devil who's scheming against us. And and to make it even more clear, he makes it explicit in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And his whole idea is that we need to realize that we are in this spiritual battle and it's not just about flesh and blood. It's not just about wrong ideas that are in our mind. It's not just something that, well, it's in our past and it's a psychological thing that you know, we need to get over through just counseling or, or even when we look at the deceptions and the lies in our culture. It's not just about media or academia and or, you know, all these things. No, there's a spiritual force behind it all. We're wrestling not just against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual forces that are driving the lies, the deceptions that we're tempted to believe. And since we have to see this as a spiritual battle, we need to see then the source, both of the lie and of the truth. Now, this morning, we read a moment ago, and we saw that 17 and 18, we're going to look at this morning, talks about the sword or the spirit or the word of God, and and then it calls us to pray in the spirit, and we're going to look at these two callings. Now, it would be easy to see that as just a a call to study God's word call to pray and and, in general sense of the Bible's important. And while I could do that, and that's very valid, it's it's what's taught in the Bible, um, the emphasis here isn't just a general call to study God's word and to pray. It's specifically calling us to do these things in the context of the spiritual battle that we're involved in, to see it as relation to the whole armor and the battle, now, again, let me point out, if we go back to verse 12, we saw a moment ago, where does he start? You are in a spiritual battle against a spiritual enemy. We're battling against Satan who's trying to deceive us. Verse 12, we're wrestling not just against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers and authorities, you know, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now we saw that, but then we see in verse 17, he tells, it says, take up the helmet of salvation. And then the last piece, to take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. In the very next words, in verse 18, he continues to calling us to pray at all times in the spirit. Now, here's something I want to point out. I hadn't seen this before, but I think it's really significant. Is that, again, he starts by saying, you battle against spiritual powers. Look at how he ends, describing the armor. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit. Now, there's an emphasis here saying, okay, you're battling against spiritual powers here, and ultimately, if we're going to win, it's relying on a spiritual power here. It's, It's a battle between, you know, between God and his truth and Satan and his lies, and it's a spiritual battle, and it's not just a matter of, you know, okay, claiming truth. It's literally saying there's a spiritual battle that we need to tap into spiritual sources. It's a battle between demonic lies and God's truth. Now, that, what that means is that means that the lies that we struggle with, the accusations, they're not just a lie, but they're a lie from Satan. It's satanic in its origin. And we need to recognize that. We need to call out not only its identity, but its purpose. And we need to see the truth not just as something that's true we should believe, but this is God's truth. Now, it's significant for this reason. You see, the lie isn't just something that's wrong, it's something that's it's from demonic origin, set to destroy us. And, and there's a difference because it's, you know, sometimes we could say, well, I know that's wrong, you know, and I should believe it. And, or, you know, I, you know, I was raised with this and it's kind of some psychological thing and I need to get over. Well, it's one thing to say that and to say, no, this is from Satan. That's, that's, a, that's a lie that's set out to destroy my heart. We need to call it out as what it is. And likewise, we can say, well, I know that that's true. I know I should believe it. I I'm struggling to believe it. Well, it's one thing to say that something we kind of believe is true and say, no, this is what God's word says. There's a spiritual power over here. There's a spiritual power over here. We need to call it out and fight it on spiritual grounds. And one of the things that that means is that as we struggle with this, it's not just that the Bible is calling us to say, well, you know, just, well, quote these things. And sometimes we can even use the Bible as kind of almost like uh, divinely inspired incantations that if we just quote it, then it's going to somehow fix it. And, and uh, you know, things are going, well, just, you know, we quote verses to each other. Well, there's more than this because, again, there's a spiritual battle that we're called to tap into spiritual powers. I've seen people do this. For example, one commonplace is I've seen you know, a lot of athletes will, you know, feet, you know take Philippians 4, 4.13, favorite verse, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we almost then use this as self-help. You know, well, I can do everything, I, you know, anything I can accomplish and, and even have, like, you know, shirts and, things that people wear, and I can do all things through Christ. I can accomplish anything that I want. And see, that's not what God is calling us to, to quote verses, because if we say them enough that they'll help us to believe. No, the issue is tapping into God's spirit and letting his spirit change our heart and mind, recognizing there's a battle here. See, what we need to realize is that there's a battle of saying, okay, what do we believe to be true? What do we think is true? And in this, what is this last piece of armor and how does it work out? Let me even point out the last piece of armor, the sword of the spirit. You ever notice that, as we said in the beginning, he says, okay, it's battle against spirit, the end of, you know, we need to rely on the spirit. In the beginning, what's the first piece of armor? The first piece of armor we're to called to put on is to put on the belt of truth. What's the last piece of armor? The belt of truth is where we start. We end with taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, isn't the word of God truth? Yeah. So, so, you know, clearly, you know, you look at these things are related, but I find it interesting. He says, start by putting on truth, end by putting on truth. Why? Because again, this battle is a battle of the mind, of the heart, of what we think, of what we believe. And there's this idea that the whole of the armor is ultimately putting on truth. It's claiming, recognizing Satan's going to attack our mind and our heart about what we think and what we believe. We need to see it as a demonic lie. We need to claim God's truth. We need to put that on. We need to fight with it. What does that mean? So what does it mean to put on or to take the the sword of the spirit? Well, let's dig a little deeper into that. And if we look at it, what we're going to see is that there are two things that are distinctive about him using this metaphor of a sword, where a sword is different than all the other pieces of the armor. The first is that the sword is unique and that it's an offensive weapon. Now, all the pieces of the armor that he's described up till now are, are defensive, they're defending against the enemy's attack. You know, we have the breastplate to defend against the attack about of who we are and the, the shield. And they're all defensive. And, and Paul has put this primarily in defensive terms. So verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be to stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Saying, okay, you're going to be attacked. It's going to come. Put this on. Be prepared so that when the attack comes, you can stand your ground. But here in verse 17, He transitions from describing the soldier's armor that defends to now describing the soldier's weapon, the sword which we're called to use to attack. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, why do we need an offensive weapon? You know, isn't, again, the whole passage about defending against the enemy's attack? Now, here's what I want you to realize is, is that if you understand, attacking is part of our defense. Now, let's back up, and we've seen throughout we, every piece of the, you know, the armor, we've looked at what is, the, what is the piece here, what's it look like, and the sword. So, he talks about this Roman sword, it's called the gladius. Uh, you might hear gladiator, well, that was the Roman word for sword fighter. And so, the gladius was a short, uh, you know, short, double-edged sword. It was the standard issue for the Roman army. Now, up until that time, most of the armies would have used a, a much longer broadsword, and it was a you know, heavy sword, single uh, thing, and it was primarily a slashing weapon. They would slash it against each other. But the Gladius was, was different. It, this was about 30 inches long. The Gladius was about 19 inches long in the blade. Much smaller, and it allowed for rapid movements. It was double-edged uh, and, and uh, sharp on both sides. Now, I can not only show you this, this week somebody surprised me. They gave me a gift. I don't even know who, but somebody sent, you know, sent a great note. It's a wonderful gift. This is a replica gladius. And so this is very much what it would have looked like, shape and everything like that. And, and you look at this and it's, you know, it's beautiful, meaningful gift. So I thank you for whoever did that. And, and, and it was this technological innovation that the Romans actually used. The Roman infantry each would have gotten this. They would have trained with it for hours each day, so much so that when you read at that time, they would say that it became an extension of their arm and uh, the way that they moved. And, and it, what was key is it was heavy enough to block the attack of, of the enemy, but it was also light enough that the, you know, they would come with this big slashing attack and you would block it and you would quickly be able to turn and to be able to stab or to slash. And it was something that when you were trained to use it, it was far more effective than the enemy's weapons. Now that was the Roman sword. So what is the sword that we're called to use? And we're you know, called to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, um, and so, why do we have the Bible as a sword? Why is it described there? Well, one of the principles is a basic principle that we understand in all warfare, that when you think of any kind of warfare, uh, the best defense is always a good offense. Think about actual hand-to-hand combat. What happens if we have great armor... And, uh, and, and here we might have the sword, but we never use it to counterattack. Somebody's attacking us, and we say, hey, stop it. I don't like to be attacked. And we just let them attack us, but we never fight back. Are they going to stop because we asked them? No. No, they're going to keep attacking, and eventually they'll find a weakness, and they'll take us down. So when we think about it, how do we stop them? Well, we stop them by going on the counterattack, you know, fighting back. And we understand that that when we have a good offense, that stops the the enemy from attacking us. And so in our spiritual battle, we need to be victorious. We need to realize that we have to have the sword. We need to learn to use it, that we need to not only know how to defend ourselves against Satan's attack, but we need to, in a sense, go on the offense with God's word, claiming truth. Re-stating this truth, and and specifically, I think, it's calling us on the issues that Satan attacks, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation. We're gonna be attacked there, and we need to state the truth. One of the principles that we saw back in chapter four and five, when we looked at what the Ephesians teaches about morality, is that when it comes to issues of morality, The Bible teaches that ultimately Christian morality isn't defined by the sins that we don't do, the rules that we keep. It's defined by our righteousness, the things that we do and who we are. And if we embrace righteousness, you see sin loses its power. So, for example, it tells us, you know, lie no longer, but instead tell the truth. Now, if we focus on the rule, don't lie, we know people that will still be deceptive. Well, technically, I didn't tell a lie. But the thing is that if you become a person of the truth that focuses on telling the truth, ultimately, lies lose its power. Because if I'm truthful, there, there's no place for a lie. Now, the same principle is true here. It's when we, it comes to what we think and what we believe. We can defend ourselves against the, the, the lie. We can defend ourselves against the attack. But ultimately, what I'm doing is that I'm holding it back, and ultimately, what's the greatest defense against the lie? The truth. That if I state God's truth, ultimately, the lie that Satan will throw at me loses its ground. Let me kind of re- put another way. Let's think in physical terms again. Okay, so if you think about an attack, when we attack, the question is, what is the ground that we're fighting on? By attacking, we change the ground. Now, let's use the physical illustration of a sword fight, okay? You kind of get this picture when you have people in a sword fight. If the other person is attacking, generally, what is the defender doing? You're backing up. You're defending, you're backing up. If I'm on the attack, I'm advancing. See, I'm pushing. Now, what happens is that if I am just defending, even with my sword, I'm being put into ground. They're going to try to put me into, you know, slippery ground. They're going to try to put me downhill. They're going to try to back me up where I have nowhere to go. And if they're defining the ground that I am, see, the fact is, just even in defining the ground, there's winning a, they're, they're taking a step and winning the battle. On the other hand, if I'm attacking... When I start to attack, I'm changing the ground that's being fought on. Now, let's apply that to our battle with Satan. When we think of this, there are times that we feel like that we're attacked. And in that attack, we de- there are going to be times that all we can do is defend ourselves. Satan surprises us. We didn't see it coming. That's why we need the armor, because there are times that all we can do is back up. And, and hopefully with the armor, you know, but, but that should be short term. We have to then turn that around, because if all we do is defend We're responding to, defensively, we're responding to encountering lies and temptations. But in that, the ground is the lie. So, for example, the belt of truth, and and, and Satan comes at us and says, well, that isn't true. And, well, no, it is. We're, you know, we're we're, we're saying, no, your lie is false. The blessed pride of righteousness. He accuses us and tries to define us by our sin. Well, you've sinned here. You know, you can never be used of God. You couldn't ever be. God couldn't ever love you. Well, no, that's not true. And, and so we're trying to defend ourselves against those lies. But when we take up the shield of, or the sword of the spirit, what happens is that we change the ground. We begin to not only defend ourselves, but we say, no, here's what God's word says. And we go back on the attack and we beat against the lie again and again. Here's what God's word says. I'm proclaiming truth. And the more that I proclaim that truth, the more secure I become in what I know to be true about God and his character the less the impact the lies have on me. But the key is you know, literally taking the aggressive, taking the, uh, you know, taking the offense. Now, I said a few moments ago that there are two things that are unique about the sword as far as how it's different from all the armor. The one is that it is the only offensive piece of armor that we're told. The other is that it is the only piece of armor that we need to train and practice to use it. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot to put that up there. Offensively, we need to assert and claim the truth and um, so the, going on the offense. But the, this other uniqueness of the sword is it requires training. It requires practice. Think about it. All the other pieces of armor we put on, and we put it on and leave it there. We, know how to, we need to know how to put it on well. But it's not like you put on the helmet, you practice using it. You no, know, you just wear it. In fact, all of it is just there. The only one that we really need to take up at all is the shield to you know, distinguish the, the darts. But, but again, it doesn't take a whole lot of practice to hide behind a shield. But let's think about the sword. The sword isn't just something that the soldier would put on every day. It's something that he had to train with every day. He had to, to survive on the battlefield. You know, if he had it, but he never trained with it, if he never looked at it, when the battle come, he wouldn't have the strength and stamina. He wouldn't have the skill to be able to fight back. Oh, if he's well-equipped and, and he had the full armor, if he came and someone was untrained against him, well, maybe he could fight about, you know, the, the armor would protect him. But if he got into a real battle that required, you know, against skilled enemy that required more than, you know, just a simple one attack, I mean, the fact is that he, he wouldn't last. He would be defeated in spite of all the armor. And in the same way, we can have all the armor of God. And the fact is that we can have all that armor, but if... if if uh, and, and, if we have the sword, if we don't know how to use the sword, we can have it there, but the fact of the matter is we don't know how to use it to be victorious. In fact, there's even it's even worse in a sense. There's a principle that is true today. It was true back then when it comes to weapons. And that is, you know, I was talking to some of even the people that are, you know, we had the shooting thing with the men's thing back a couple of weeks ago, and we're talking to some of the men and, and about, you know, handling a gun and and one of the things that you'll talk to people, anybody that knows it says, boy, if you have a gun, you need to get some training, you need to get some practice. If you have a gun and you think, well, I'm going to carry a gun, especially I can carry it around now. And if you don't know what you're doing, you're probably more dangerous to yourself and the other people than you are as far as protection. You no, know, you need to have some training. And in the same way, even back then, you know, you could have this sword. And the fact is, you know, if you have a soldier come out here and he's got this sword, hey, good arm, good, a good soldier is going to be able to literally turn that against you. And so when it comes to the Bible, is that the same principle? Well, actually, it is. You see, if we're unprepared, if we're untrained and unpracticed in our use of God's word, Satan is actually going to attack us in such a way that he seeks to turn the sword against us. And what he does is he often uses spiritual-sounding language. You know, I hear people even say, well, God says, God helps those who help themselves. Where does God say that? You know, first hesitations? I don't remember that, you know. Or people will, you know, take, take Bible verses, and they will take it, and, and, and Satan will twist it. He'll have the verse, but he'll misquote it a little bit. He'll take it out of context. And, and I've heard countless people argue for things that are inconsistent with what the Bible teaches using the Bible itself. Because Satan distorts it, and he turns it against us. It's always subtle. He makes slight changes to God's word to make significant changes to the meaning. And he uses our limited knowledge of God's word and our weakness in this issue to distort the meaning. An example, a couple that are really popular now, I hear people all the time now, people say, well, God made me this way, and since he gave me these desires, he wants me to act on those. Or, you know, God is loving, and God, because he's loving, he wants me to be happy, so he wants me to do the things that will make me happy. And again, that actually works with some people if you don't know the Bible very well, because did God make us? Yes. Are we part of God's design? Yes. That's true, but it's only a part of the truth and it distorts a huge thing. Now, did God make us so that he gave us all the desires we have? No. The Bible says that we also are born with a sin nature. So all of us have desires that are wrong. And and we're born with a sin nature and he gives us his word to help us to understand that nature and know what to deal with it, how to surrender it to God, how to change us. And this idea that God made me and therefore all the desires that I have are from God and he wants me to live into them, I mean, that's a, that's a lie from the enemy. It's him twisting the truth. Did, does God love you and want you to be happy? Yes. Does that mean he wants you to do everything he wants you want to do that you think that you'll enjoy? No. Because the Bible also says that there are a lot of things that I want to do that give short-term pleasure that are sinful out of line with God's design for our lives and therefore in the long run are destructive to us. And so the Bible says, out of love, it, it tells us certain things are wrong. It tells us that we shouldn't do certain things. He doesn't want us to pursue our every desire. But you see how people are convinced by these because they don't know the Bible well. Now, you want to see how old this strategy is? You could go all the way back to Genesis 3. The very first temptation, what do you see? You see Satan come and tempting Eve. You know what he does? He starts by quoting God. Genesis 3.1, Satan said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You know what she does? He quotes, he misquotes. Did God say you shall not eat of any tree? No, God said you shouldn't eat of this, the one tree in the middle. And he misquotes, and in that misquoting, he's planting a seed of doubt. Did God really say that you shouldn't have the things that you need? And it's a misquotation that is planting a seed of doubt, where Satan is using the sword of God's word even against Eve. Or another example think about Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. Satan goes and attempts Jesus, and what does he do? He again misquotes the Bible, takes it out of context, and uses that trying to tempt Jesus to sin. Matthew chapter 4. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the, really the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And he starts, here's quoting the Bible. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they shall bear uh, bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." He's quoting the Bible, but out of context, changing the meaning. Now, here's what happens. Eve, when she's tempted, then responds, no, God didn't say that, and she quotes God, but gets it wrong. Why? Because she didn't know God's word that well. She wasn't confident in God. She wasn't that aware of what his word was, so she didn't know how to use it well. Satan said a lie in a perversion, and she's, well, and she she didn't know how to correct it. What did Jesus do? Jesus, likewise, he's response back. He says, okay, you're going to try to use it against me. I know how to use the sword. He said, quoting back, no, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here, let me take this one, and this is what it really means. And so Satan tries to misquote. Jesus turns that around, and you see it actually numerous times in the whole temptation, and here's what we need to realize. If Jesus, the divine man, needed to look to scripture and say, okay, I need to take up my sword to be able to drive back the enemy, if he needed to do that, how can we say that we don't? We need it as well. We need to learn to use it and, uh, you know, so that we are not susceptible to Satan's lies. But to do it well, it means that we have to practice, the importance of practice and of training even in that, let me point, point out, address one of Satan's lies that, you know, he might be whispering to you right now. So one of the most common lies is that he tells us is that that was Jesus. Of course, he would know the Bible well. You'll never know the Bible that well. You won't ever be able to do that. You know, you haven't gone to Bible college. You, you know, you're a new Christian. Maybe you weren't raised with this. Maybe he's even telling you, you're just not that smart. You'll never get it. And, and he's sitting there saying, yeah, you listen to Pastor Mike, you can never know the Bible like that. So why even try? That's a lie of the enemy. Even before I p- address it by Scripture, let me just address it again by just practical illustration. Okay, let's say I decide that I, you know, for the new year, um, I'm going to get an MMA fighting. You know, I, I look like, yeah, that's going to be, if any of you all know, okay, that's, you know, this martial arts fighting and, Mixed martial arts. And so I go into the gym. I'm going to, I found a good gym. I go there for the first lesson. You know, I'm a big fan. I want to do that as a hobby. And I walk in after the first lesson. I see this guy, one of the teachers. He's a fourth degree black belt, multiple disciplines. And I say, I think I can take him on. So I get in his face and challenge him to a fight. Now, how do you think I'm going to do? Some of you are thinking, I would like to see that. You know, some of you are thinking, I hope you're wearing lots of padding. You know, just, I'm not going to do very well. Now, should I give up? Now first of all, it's kind of stupid for me to think that I, in my first lesson, can take on a guy that's been practicing for 20 years. Of course, I'm not going to be as good as him. But on the other hand, it would be stupid for me to say, because I got beat by this guy that's been doing it for 20 years, I can never learn to do it. No, the fact of the matter is it takes time, and it's going to take time to get in shape. It's going to take time to develop the muscles. It's going to take time to develop those skills. Now, I may never be a Conor McGregor. I may never be the professional fighter. In fact, I know I won't be. Uh, you know, but the fact of the matter is I can become proficient if I work at it. Now, okay, let's put that towards, towards us. If you sit there and you say, well, I could never be like Jesus. Well, okay, well, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's the all-star. You know, I could never be Pastor Mike or, well, okay, well, I've been working on this for 30 years. I've been training a lot for this. And if you're sitting there saying, well, I'm just starting the Bible, well, of course, you're not going to be able to, you know, see everything that I see when I've been training for 30 years. Does that mean that you give up? No. No, that means that you you double down and say, okay, I've got to recognize this is a skill to be learned. There are muscles to be trained. And we've got to realize that why did he fall? Because at the moment of truth, she didn't know God's word well enough. She didn't know what God really said, so she was susceptible to the deception. And same, same thing for us. It's not, you know, it's, it's not, okay, what can I do when I... Victory is won or lost, not at the moment of battle, but before the battle. Have we prepared? Have we worked on it? So let's go back even to the whole physical sword. If I, if I sit there and say, I want to develop this physical skill, I can go out and I can train. And I will tell you, just with the weight and everything like this, if I find a place to train with a person or just, you know, with whatever, if I'm swinging this hard for about five minutes, I'm going to get really sore. My muscles are going to start to hurt. You know, if I go 10 minutes, I'm going to have serious calluses on my hands. I'm not going to be able to go that long. Why? Because I've not trained at all. This is using muscles that I've never do. I'm not used to the weight. I'm not used to the motion. I don't know, you know, the skills of swordplay. But over time, what happens is that if I train, I will learn. I will develop the skills, the muscles. And here's what we have to realize: How many of you are born with a natural ability of sword play? Anybody come out of the womb and say, like, yeah, I just you know, I just picked up the sword right? I mean, it, no. So how many of you are born with a natural ability to understand God's word? It doesn't come naturally. And there's reasons that Paul uses this and people would have understood that anybody who's proficient is proficient because they practice, because they learn, because they struggle with it. And you know what? If I go out there and I do five minutes a day, that's all I can do. If I'm looking at the Roman soldier and say, I need to do an hour, I can't do an hour. You know what that means when it comes to God's word? If you don't study God's word, start with five minutes a day. Start with just five minutes a day. If you do five minutes a day and start doing that, that's great. And if you're doing five minutes a day, stretch it a little. Try 10 minutes a day. Try a little bit more. Try, you know, try to go. You know, if you say, well, I don't know. What to do, well, start with a devotional book. Start with Daily Bread or something like that. And then move to trying to read the Bible on your own. You know, to, you know recognize this is something that you learn. And then take lessons. That's part of what you're doing here Sunday morning. I'm kind of a teacher. I'm the guy that said, okay, I've been working on this. I want you to notice that even in the way that I teach, the way that I preach, I don't just sit there and say, well, here's the truth, and here's just believe it because I said it. I, what do we say? Open up your Bibles. Keep it open. You'll see where all the points come from. I'll look at it, and I'll say, this is something I haven't seen. You notice that it starts by talking about, you know, the spiritual battle, and then it says, the sword of the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. It's calling us to the battle in the Spirit. I'm showing you how I'm finding this. You know why? Because I'm trying to give you lessons. I'm going to say, you can get this. If you, if you study this, you can learn these skills. You can become proficient at it. It's not going to happen right away. Don't get discouraged because I can handle the sword better than you are. No, you should be encouraged to say, I want to become that good at it. And if you work on it over time, you will, you can. That's the whole idea here. Now, in that, there's one other piece, which is interesting, because if you look at it, we see, in, if you look in your Bibles, it says, say, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, No, 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 um, um, no no end of sentence. A continuation, comma. Praying at all times in the spirit. So the way that we take up the sword is defined by praying at all times in the spirit. The sword of the spirit, praying in the spirit. He's teaching us something about the importance of prayer as part of the armor. Now here's what he's saying: like the call to the word that was the word of God. It's not just here saying that we're called to pray, you know, pray the prayer list. And, and again, that's, that's a good and important thing to do. That's not what it's teaching here. It's specifically calling us to apply this towards spiritual warfare and wearing the armor, specifically here, taking up the sword. The way we take up the sword is defined by at the same time praying in the spirit. And what is it calling us to? What is the spirit? We need spiritual power to fight this battle. We do not have it of ourselves. So it means when we take God's word and we seek to apply it, we're going to need help. We need God's help to believe and apply what we know to be true. There are going to be times that I see it, that I know it in my mind, but I struggle to believe it. Take, for example, let me give an example. Let's say. talk the shield of faith. Okay, so God calls us to the shield of faith, which is truth about God, about His character, about His promises, His reliability. I know that God is loving. I know that He is good. I know Romans 8.28, He causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him. But then I go through a period of trial. And in the midst of this trial, Satan attacks me with these flaming darts of doubt about God's character, about me being loved. And, you know, and I start asking, if God were really loving, if God were all-powerful, how could He allow these things to happen? How can he allow a loved one to be sick? How can he love them, allow them to die? I don't understand that. Or we're in the middle of, the, you know, of a struggle with another person. They're telling lies about me. They're hurting me. They seem to be prospering, and I'm getting hurt. God, if you're all-powerful, if you really reward that, it's good. How did you let this happen? Or we look at the evil in our world, and we say, God, if you were really all-powerful and all-loving, then how could you allow evil, how could you allow children to be, you know, abused and Maybe you were one of the children. Maybe as a child, you faced that abuse. God, how could you allow that to happen to me? See, those are hard questions. Because in all of those cases, what we see, what we feel, is inconsistent with what the Bible teaches, what we know. But remember the field of faith. The definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1, one. faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Faith is when the unseen promises and character of God are more real to us than our seen reality, what we feel and experience in life. And so we hold up this shield and, you know, and, and say, okay, I know these things to be true of God, and, but we then need to also go on the attack. And we need to say, no, here are the truths that I claim. And practically, you know what it means for me? There have been times in the trial I might go to, it's a Psalms and I'm reading through the Psalms and I'm just pouring over that. I'm saying, God, help me to see, help me to relate to David's struggle and his, his, you know, crisis and his depression. And God, how did he find, how did he find you in those times? Because I need to take that word. I need to take that word to fight back and to claim the truth. Personally, I found it very helpful to to listen to worship music, which is really good worship is scripture that is just put to music, and it's proclaiming the character of God. It's taking truth and putting it with music to connect emotionally to my heart, and I'll listen to it. But I'll tell you, there are times that I'll come to a song, and it's like, man, I almost want to turn that off. I've struggled to There have been times in church i struggle to sing a song because part of my heart is saying, I don't believe that to be true. God, if this is really your character, how am I experiencing this? And it's a battle where it's literally, God, help me to believe. Help me to sing this truth. Help me to claim it. I've got a battle back because this is where prayer comes into the battle. It literally is saying, okay, there's a spiritual battle that is working against my soul to try to get me to doubt, to give up. And in the meantime, I need to say, God, I need spiritual help to give me what I do not have. As, As somebody came to Jesus... Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I've got a little bit of belief, but not enough. Help my unbelief. See, ultimately, that's what prayer in the Spirit is. In fact, there's another passage that talks about praying in the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. It talks about the same thing. Look what it says in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There are times, God, I don't even know what to pray for. That's all I know is I'm lost, I'm hurting, I'm struggling. I I don't don't know how to claim these things. So all I do is I bring my, my, my hurt, my need. And friends, I want you to understand. You know what this is? This is the gospel. It's really just saying the basic gospel message and applying it to our lives. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is that we're all sinners. We justly deserve God's punishment. I cannot do right I can't I can't earn God's reward. I acknowledge that. And, and but Jesus died on the cross for my sins. So I come to him on my weakness. I say, God, I agree with you. I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to for- take my sins through Jesus Christ. Me, give me his righteousness. Make me who you want me to be. If you hear if you don't if you never trusted in Christ in that way, that's that's the gospel. That's his invitation. He invites you to do that. For those who have Now the thing is is that The rest of the Christian growth is applying that to all the areas of life. Now, what happens here? We go through periods of time. We go through the trials. We go through the attacks. And we say, I know this is to be true. You tell me these verses. You tell me there's no condemnation, but I still feel condemned. I still feel guilty. I still feel like a failure. And so what do we do? We say, God, I claim this. I want to claim your word. But at the same time, I can't believe it. I'm struggling to believe it. I really don't. I I don't know what to do. And so we bring our weakness. God, I agree with you. I'm not there. I don't have the faith. I agree with you. I ask you to forgive me and to, and to take, take my failure and to give me what I do not have. Give me your righteousness. Give me your faith. Give me the ability to believe. See, it's really applying the gospel message to our daily life. And, and my friends, it's, it's, that, it's that basic. And a lot of times we feel like, I, I doubt. I, God's going to reject us because I doubt. No, no, he invites us to him. I think of James 1 5 where it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who just generously to all without finding fault. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to take what God has said and to apply it to our life. And so it's, here's what I know God says, but God, I don't trust. I don't believe. I struggle. What does it say? Ask of God, He gives generously without finding fault. He invites us to come, He invites us to be real. You know, there are many here that are struggling. And it might be something going on right now. It might be something that is a long term that you're sitting there and you say, I know this to be true, but I don't believe. Or you're sitting there and you've been defending yourselves against these doubts and against these attacks of Satan. And and you're sitting there and you say, I know, I know it's a lie. and let me call, encourage you, call it out. Call it out as a lie of Satan. This is a lie of Satan. God, help me to reject it. Help me to see it as it is. Help me to embrace your truth. Help me to, God, give me, give me what your truth is. What is your word you want me to claim? How do I call, fight back? And even as I fight back and I struggle with that, God, give me even the ability to believe. So just in closing, really an application. I think the question is this. Where in your life is God calling you to go on the, the offense with truth? Is there that area where it might be, again, this long-term, this doubt? I just can't forgive myself. I can't believe God forgives me. I can't believe that God would, you know, use me in spite of these things. And it could be the shoes of, you know, shoes of peace. God, I can't believe that, that you really have a plan. It could be the attacks and the doubt of God's character. Maybe you walked away completely from your walk with God. Maybe you're here and you just are facing a crisis this week. You're facing a holiday season this season with loss of loved one, and it's like, how do I find God in the middle of this? So where is God calling you to go on the offense with truth? We're not just defending, and here's the things that I know, but what are the truths that I need to claim that I need to attack back? And I need to attack back not only claiming these things, but then asking God, pleading with God to give me the faith that I do not have. And the beautiful thing is when we ask, he gives generously to all without finding fault. The amazing thing is that he says, yes, we will face the attack, but we will rely upon his resources. When that day comes, we will stand. Part of that is helping each other to stand, praying for each other. I encourage you even this Christmas season. Think of someone that you know that might be having a hard Christmas season, might be going through a difficulty. Give them a call, reach out, fight alongside with them. But we also need to be real and come to God's grace and let him fight alongside with us.